I want you this morning to turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the text together. It's a passage that uh, it follows after some of the lectionary passages that we had read a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and it's kind of a, a very important place to kind of see it's in its context. And so what I'd like to do this morning, we're just going to jump right into the text. So stand with me if you're here in-house. Uh, John chapter 10, we're going to be beginning in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 11. Um, and I want you to spend a little bit of time with me as you may follow on the screens or also uh, there on your, uh, in, in your text as well. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But, when, but they will never follow a stranger." In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and will find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. God, we come before you this morning reading a text that uses this analogy of gates and sheep and shepherds. And it is our desire this morning, God, that you would help us to know you better as you compare yourself both as a shepherd, but also as a gate. Because we think about those things this morning, help us to know you better so that we can serve you better. In your son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. When I was in high school, there was a cliche that kind of, it really kind of had a life of its own. And it was a cliche created by an individual who was in the school. You know, sometimes there are those catchphrases and buzzwords that you say. They're like a part of a, of a greater cultural phenomenon. You know, things that, like words that kind of just become a, a new norm of things to be said. In my high school, it's more of like a smaller demographic. And we used a phrase, well, I'll just tell you what it was, okay, Marty. That, was it. that means nothing to you. I get it. But in our world, OK Marty was a standard like phrase that was used that was used to communicate something very effectively. The reality was there was a guy about three or four years ahead of me. I can't remember if, it was, if he was a junior or a senior about my freshman year, but I knew the guy. I remember seeing his face, but his name was Marty. And Marty was known for telling some stories. Well, not just telling a story every now and then, but telling stories that, you know, when he got done with his story, you're just kind of left feeling like, is this even real? I mean, you have somebody in your world, like every time they tell a story, they tell a story, you're just kind of like, I don't know whether to trust this or not. You know, like a lot of times people who like have that one up version of a story, or they're trying to tell something that is a little bit outside. They say things like, you won't believe what happened. Sometimes when somebody says you won't believe what happened, maybe you should respond. You're probably right. You're, what would that do to the story? If it was somebody like, likes to tell the big story, you're probably right. I probably won't believe it. There's no need in even telling me because this guy was known. For saying stories, it was like, man, you think that's something, well, listen to this. Well, I bet you've never heard or seen this, or you may not believe it, but... And so it got to the point where this guy was known for telling so many stories that if someone said anything in a conversation that was a little bit outside the realm of, like, easily believed, somebody in the room would go like, okay, Marty, 
It became the phrase. Like, can you imagine being Marty, number one? Like, what a horrible existence to know that you've created this social phenomenon within this, you know, kind of a little culture here. But we would say the phrase to each other like, okay, Marty, which means I don't believe you or I can't believe you or this is something that is like unbelievable. This morning, Jesus begins with a phrase that's somewhat similar to that is getting their attention of saying, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. All right? Like, this is one of those phrases. Now, it's not that what Jesus is saying wasn't trustworthy, but it's him beginning a story that people are going to hear, and he knows when he tells them these things that they're not really going to easily believe him. As a matter of fact, look at this story within its context. When he says something, very truly I tell you, by the way, he says it twice because he's trying to get their attention and say, like, you need to listen up because what I'm about to say is difficult. You may not believe me. You you may not be ready to follow along with what I'm saying, but listen to what I'm about to say. Very truly, I'm, I'm telling you the truth here. You need to listen up. And not just you need to listen up, but like, you need to take this to heart. It may not make perfect sense to you, and it may not make sense with what you've believed about God, which is even more important here. It may not make sense what you believe about God, but you need to listen. I have something very important to tell you. Look with me for just a moment. He's saying this immediately following another story. Go back in your text for just a second. The chapter before, we preached probably a month and a half ago, six-ish weeks ago, somewhere in there. We talked about this guy's story. What is the story that takes place in John chapter 9? Put, this, put John 10 in its proper context. What happens in John 9? Healing of a man who's been born blind, remember? The only one we read about that was born that way with that affliction. Noted is born with that affliction. Look in that story. Do you remember what happened when Jesus had healed him? What did the Pharisees start asking questions about? Like, what was the argument taking place? Who healed you? You remember this? Like, who did this? And and there was this back and forth. Like, they even interview his parents. Like, who is the man? What is his name? What does he do? And there's this like, well, we don't know who he is. And others are like, you know, there's this trying to figure out. And they're struggling with like, who is this Jesus person? And as that takes place and Jesus is, is really like starting to torque and, and really challenge the way that they're doing life, he's saying to them like, you're having trouble believing that I'm the son of man. Let me tell you a little bit more. And very truly, you need to listen. Like this is going to, this is going to cloudy your water even more because you don't understand. Number two in this story, when you're looking at it, not only does he start by saying very truly, which is the statement of you may have trouble believing what I'm about to see, what I'm about to say, who is he speaking to directly when he begins this? Very truly, who? Pharisees. Understand that when Jesus speaks to crowds, oftentimes, not every time, but there's so many times, he has more trouble deconstructing what people think is right as opposed to what is actually right. You understand? Like, <clears throat> he has more trouble, let me state, state that differently. He has more trouble deconstructing what people think is right as opposed to teaching someone from the ground level up. Does that make sense? It is their preconceived notions that he's fighting against here. It's the way that they have grown up thinking about God that he's trying to deconstruct and then reconstruct how they see Messiah, how they see God. And so when he says this to them, like if, if there are passages in the Bible that the church specifically should be a little bit like, man, we should pay attention. Folks, we fit into the Pharisee bucket a lot more than we might want to acknowledge. Okay? Like we're the ones who have quote, studied the law as we read, or or the ones who have been trying to be the godly people. I mean, do you not recognize this morning just how weird you are? I love you all. I I gave report to the district assembly this past week, and I called you all gloriously weird, and you know I say that out of love. You know what I mean? Like, you're gloriously weird because you're not like everybody else that lives on this planet. Number one, you're in like a a five to eight percent of a county right now because you're doing something different than the other 90-something percent of the county. What are you doing? You're here. You know what I mean? Like, you're weird, okay? Look at your neighbor right now. Tell them you are weird. I love you because of it. It's a beautiful thing. Like, this is a beautiful part of weird, you know? Let me tell you what, the world could stand a little bit more weird, amen? 
this kind of weird anyway. <laughs> we got lots of other weird. This is the weird we need, right? Jesus is speaking to these people, and it's the ones who had been studying the law. And then when he speaks to them, saying, like, you, you need to listen to me because I'm about to stretch what you think about God a little bit, especially you people who have been studying the law, who've been studying what it means to follow God. I'm about to stretch you, okay? What I'm about to say is not going to be easy. And then he commences in this analogy of sheep and shepherds, some, but also sheep and a gate. He spends more time at the very beginning talking about himself as a gate, which, which we'll get to in a moment. But ultimately, beginning this analogy, this, this, this explanation as, as being people that are sheep. Now, that's not a, something that's really um, appreciated in today's world. What are the negative connotations of being called a sheep in today's world? Not thinking for yourself. I love it. Y'all saying about the same thing. But a, a sheep in today's world is something like, you're not thinking for yourself. You're just being blindly led. Those sorts of things. And I, I get why we have those, um, those comments about people and the way people work. Like, don't be a sheep. Don't be the person who just blindly follows. Now, there's a part of that that is still within line of what Jesus is talking about. But like, you have to separate yourself a little bit from our uh, demonizing of sheep today and talk about, listen, Jesus is not speaking in his direct context. Let me say that very clearly. In his direct context, he doesn't carry the burden of a 2023 understanding that sheep would be a demonized word, okay? He's speaking into a world that is very accustomed to having herds and shepherds and flocks and all those sorts of things. So like, please look at this story within his context. Jesus warns them, and it's not necessarily about, there's some discussion about another shepherd, but he even talks about within the fold, there are people who are within this sheepfold that they've, they've come in not through the gate, They've come in with a, a different, and beware. He says, he who does not enter the sheepfold uh, through the door is a thief and a robber. There's this like, be very concerned about those who are among you who are the thieves and the robbers. That They have entered through something else other than the door, which Jesus, or the gate, which Jesus would compare to himself. Like, they're there for a different purpose. You may notice them, well, one of the ways that you would notice them is they don't embody the nature of why Jesus is there in the first place. When you think about Jesus, the one who is the keeper of the gate, the one that people have to come through, the, what we emulate, Jesus is one who is a part of this and is, is exemplifying this from a place of, of love, calling, care, and service. You understand? Like, so when you look around and you wonder sometimes, and, and, and you know, this, is, this is kind of a, a fun thought to have, look around the, the sanctuary again. Oh, come on, look around, look at each other. I told you all to call each other weird a minute ago, so we're already used to looking around, you know, like, I want you to ask him. Are you good sheep or are you bad sheep? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So and I get it. You know, there's a little bit of fun in this. I, I'm going to say this morning, welcome to ECN where there's only good sheep. Why are you laughing? Okay, so but my point is this. There is a reality that even within the sheep, there is this like, be careful of those who are in your midst who may not be there through Jesus. They're not there through love of fellow man, being sacrificial toward each other, of calling, of sacrifice for each other. But you would say, like, well, then how do we, A, how do we acknowledge who they are? Well, number one, like, be careful what, maybe what part of the herd you're a part of, if that makes sense. Like, be careful that there are people within the fold who are not here for good, but they are here as thieves and robbers. And some of you would say, but, like, this is so elementary. Like, why in the world would we ever follow someone? Would we ever let someone who is a thief and a robber speak into our lives? Like, like why would we ever find ourselves in as the midst of wanting to be Jesus' sheep, like, and being, being good sheep following him? Like, why would we ever allow something like that to happen? I mean, it seems like a very juvenile thing to do. How far do you have to go 
to see fellow sheep who are listening to the, to the others who are the thieves and the robbers. Like in what ways this morning do you see other sheep listening to the thieves and the robbers? I shared with you all a little bit ago, uh, as in a week ago, about what my plan was before being called to ministry. It's a great entry-level example of how in the world of being a part of sheep, there is also the reality, there are people that are part of this system that we're in who are here as thieves and robbers. And I shared with you all what I wanted to do with my life before God called me. Do you remember what I wanted to do? Better yet, do you remember I told you I would have something on my, on my belt? Do you remember what that was? A beeper. Exactly right. Uh, I don't have time. Children, years ago, there were these little plastic things, okay? And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, they would call a number, and then when it would beep, they would leave their, they would punch their number into the phone, and then all of a sudden, magically, on this little, you know, little plastic thing, there would be a beep, and then like you look down, there'd be a phone number, and you had to call it. That was hence a beeper, okay? So understand that that was a few years ago, and that's the way it took place. I wanted to be the guy who had a beeper that when I got a phone call or got that beeper code, that meant I had to go do things. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be the guy that was on special assignments and doing all that sort of stuff. Who in the world influenced me in such a way to be that person? The A-team? Y'all remember that? You know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Later on, I'd say, like, Jason Bourne? You know, like, folks, that's, you don't have to go much further to start asking the question of, like, where do fellow sheep in this world that we're living who are actually the liars and the robbers, the thief and the robber, where do we see them influencing our lives? I mean, come on, how do you decide what vehicles that you want to drive? Here's a couple of great uh, one-liners that you probably can figure out, the, the catchphrases of these uh, automobile organizations and think about like, how they've influenced us to buy their vehicles. Anybody remember the Zoom Zoom commercials? Anybody remember who makes the Zoom Zoom? What, what manufactures that? Mazda. Mazda, absolutely. Who doesn't want to Zoom? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, come on, like that, that influences me, right? How about love? It's what makes a... Subaru? Who doesn't want to be a person of love? You know what I mean? Like, I need to get me one of those cars, you know? How many of you are Subaru drivers? I see you back there, pinnacle of love people, apparently, because you drive the vehicles that are a symbol of that, right? A little bit older one, like a rock. Chevy, you remember it. How about BMW, the ultimate driving machine? Who doesn't want to be in the ultimate driving? And then you've got another one like there that is like motivating. How about the art of performance? Anybody who know that one? It's a little bit more of a well, it's a word that if you're going to drive one of the cars, you must know how to pronounce their car. The art of performance, the Jaguar. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like, you, you got to be, you got to know how to say it, right? And, and so they sell these sorts of things that influence, like, that's the type of vehicle I need because that's the way I want to be. If, if you're a person who wants to zoom, zoom, then like, there's the Mazda. If you're the person who wants to be, you know, embodied person of love, like the Subaru, the art of performance, the Jaguar, the elite, you know, those sorts of things. And it, it makes us think, like, that's what we want to drive. Otherwise, are these really the vehicles that you would be driving? Are those the clothes that you would be wearing? Folks, there are people that speak into our lives in, an am in amazing ways that we, we don't even fully see until there's this, these moments, kind of like Paul, where the scales are removed, and all of a sudden we see, like, we've been listening to the robbers and the thieves. Let's get a little bit more into our, our world, in, in a, little bit more, a little bit more raw here. How is your marriage affected? by what you see in the world around you, the robbers and the thieves. And some of you would say, well, pastor, I, I want to, especially you fellows, you know, I want a biblical marriage. You know, in Ephesians 5, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. That's what I want. Have you read the rest of that? Sometimes we fellows are not real good. We find something like, this is good, you know what I mean? But like, we don't see it in the bigger context. And this is absolutely one of those. Like, I mean, have you, have you read the rest of that passage? Men love your wives as Christ loved the church. Sometimes we see marriages through very, very different lenses. I'm convinced 
as much as pornography is the absolute destruction of marriages. Not so sure the Hallmark Channel isn't far behind. I mean, really. Like, we have, we see these things on TV of like, this is the expectation that I have and how marriage should work. And like, I define how my marriage should work based on what I've seen lived out in front of me. I mean, even in some context, I'd say in every context, really, most of you are defining marriage based on how your parents did it. I'm not saying that's even really good or wrong inherently, but I am saying this. How do you know that your marriage is being based in a, in a, a biblical understanding? And, and some of you say these phrases of like, I want a, I want a biblical relationship, and, and why does my marriage not look biblical? And we say things like, women submit, wives submit and serve your husbands. And then we read like, men love your wives as Christ loved the church. I mean, this is some of the Ephesians 5 that Paul's working through. And my guess is that if we're wanting to make ourselves and our marriages look biblical, not through the, not through the robbers and the thieves who live it out on TV in front of us. Like, how do we change that? I, I sat at a basket, uh, baseball game not long ago, and uh, it was a, just within the last week or so, actually. And at the conclusion of the baseball game, uh, there was a team we were winning. Houston County was winning. We were playing a team. I don't remember where they were from. Um, but we were up by a few runs, and, uh, and as the, yeah, the last out was all we had to have to be able to win, there was a play at home plate, and they were trying to score another run in order to keep the game going. And unfortunately, when the play happened at home plate, like our catcher caught the ball, and when he tagged this guy out, y'all have seen these plays before. Some plays happen in there that kind of like bang, bang. You know what I mean? Like things happen so fast. This was like the guy, our, our catcher caught the ball, he spins to make the tag, and the guy slides into the tag. Like there was no discussion. Like the, the third base coach should have never sent him, okay? He was that far out. And the kid jumps up and begins to like eye the referee. You know what I mean by eye? Not with curiosity, okay, but like walking off. And I remember being like, what in the world are we watching? I was sitting beside a friend of mine by the name of Trey Mitchell. Trey's sitting there, and he looks up and he goes, I would be in that boy's face before he got to the dugout. Which he meant not to congratulate him, by the way. You know what I mean? If you know Trey, this is one of those like, you do not behave like that. We would have a conversation. You know what I mean? And I, I look over at him and, he, he, and he's like, he's a bit dumbfounded, like, I can't believe his kid's doing this. And he said, he asked the question, he's like, how does this kid, how do, you, how, do you do, how do you do that to a referee? And about the time Trey asks, how do you do that to a referee? From the third baseline, the coach is losing his mind yelling. Matter of fact, he's yelling so much that one of our fans yells back and is like, hey, he was bad out. Don't be a baby about this. And then the coach is just, Poof. I mean, like, it was a bad, bad situation there. For just, I'm sitting there going, like, I'm glad there's a fence. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just glad there's a fence. But I'm watching all this go down. And as this, like, happens within a couple of seconds, and Trey's just like, man, I couldn't deal with that. I'd have to say something about this kid, the way he's behaving. And like, how could you ever do that? And I looked over at him, and man, there was a, mo there was a line to a movie that I saw. I remember it years and years ago of watching it take place, uh, watching this movie take place, and it just stuck with me. Some of you will remember the movie line. Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. I remember my seventh grade year getting invited up to practice baseball with the varsity baseball team. They were toward the end of their season, and the coach called me and another friend of mine and asked that we would come up. It was a great honor to be able to practice with the varsity squad as a middle schooler uh, coming up and doing that. And, and I didn't know which position to play. I played catcher as a, as a baseball player, but I remember the catcher they had was incredible, and there was no chance I was going to play catcher. And I knew I could block a baseball, so when they asked, like, what do you want to do? I looked around, I thought I could compete against that shortstop. 
So I, I went out as a catcher. I went out to play shortstop during warm-ups because I thought that was a better place for me to be to show my abilities. And so I get out there, and we played on a baseball. You all have amazing baseball fields, by the way, okay? We played on gravel, I'm pretty sure. All right, it was like gravel and sand. That's about it. And I can remember breaking down a baseball, and when I, when I get down to catch the ball, and of course, you play ground up, and I'm not nearly as flexible as I used to be. But as, I, as I'm down and that ball hits in front of me, I remember it, it coming up. And all I had time to do was pull my glove up and turn my head back. It was the first time I ever broke my nose. I didn't break it here, by the way. I've never broken the bridge of my nose, but I've broken the cartilage away from above my teeth. I quit counting it 11 times. I don't even count it anymore. It just happens. You know what I mean? I remember after that happened, like I got hit so hard. And you know, when you get hit in the nose, like one of those like moments, you're like, you know, and now I was angry because I got a bad hop. It was my chance to show the coach what I could do. I got a bad hop. It hit me in the nose. I'm hurting and I'm embarrassed. So I, like, when I got hit, I spun like this, and I mean, there's fluids immediately. It was one of those. I spun immediately, and I take my glove, and I went, bam, and hit it on the ground, and went like this. My coach loses his mind. Matters you pick that glove up right now. And I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm facing away from him, okay? My glove's like 10 feet away. I'm sitting here like this, and I'm, I'm draining, okay? Matters you get that glove. Matters. And I can hear him barking. And like, I'm still, I'm embarrassed. I'm hurting. All those things are taking place. And I can remember the shortstop that was starting going, hey, coach, I think he's hurt. Well, by that time, coach is coming up the field. And you want to know what Coach Hargett said as he gets closer? He still can pick that glove up and put it back down right. Was he wrong? I'm telling you. Gushing, I walk back over, pick the glove up, and set it right back down. And then he checks on me. That's a form of elite leadership that no matter how bad things go, I'm still going to do what is right and keep myself composed, make good decisions, respond appropriately in a situation. Some of you are like, man, your coach is driving too hard. I'm going to tell you what. I appreciate men who have called me to a greater level of living understand, who have called me into a greater existence. Even when things are tough, you are still a man of character and you keep your composure and you handle the situation appropriately. Do not lose it throwing stuff around. That was his point in that exact moment. Folks, let me tell you, and especially you men, you want a biblical marriage and, and we're quick to talk about how that looks, then be the captain of your house, all right? Be the, be the man of your house who takes on the full responsibility of what it means to love your family as Christ loved the church. And quit watching what happens on TV and expecting your wife to act like what you've seen in those videos. Or quit expecting your family to act like whatever it is that you've seen on TV that you've got your mind wrapped around. This is how it should look. And start seeing that what it means to be called to be a man is not what the sheep around you have embodied because they are thieves and robbers. They are embodying things that are not of Christ. And what is Christ-like? What is Christ-like is to love your family so much that you will sacrifice that you will work your tail off, that you will work hard, and that you will exemplify Christ to them as the best that you possibly can. And if and or when you mess up, you are willing to acknowledge that mess up and then be Christ-like in humility, asking for forgiveness and moving on. In the world that we're living in, there are thieves and robbers who are trying to tell you to make your life easier. They're trying to tell you to, that you should expect life as you see it in videos. Ladies, it, it is the stereotypical hallmark example that you're looking for. And men, it's the stereotypical porn like porn that you see on TV. Quit basing how your marriages should work on the thieves and the robbers who are nothing but sheep living around you and start living it as following the Christ-like example that was lived in front of you through these texts. Like, you want to, <clears throat> you want to, you want to do well. Let me put another one on you. And I know this is getting a little bit heavy on the fellas. I'm not taking anything away from, from women whatsoever, but man, I need you to know the responsibility that sits on your shoulders. Number one, shoulder it with a smile on your face, Okay. Shoulder the responsibility with a smile on your face because it is a responsibility that God has given you. The very real statistics of what it means about your children in faith are this. When mom is the first one to come to faith within a family, her family is 17% likely to follow her. 
17% of the time, her entire family will follow her in the faith. When the father is the first one to come to faith and takes his faith seriously, that percentage goes to 93%. Do not hear this from the perspective of taking away from the responsibility of women, because that's for another morning. And let me tell you what, there is no... There is no 9317 in this, okay? Don't, don't hear that and start letting your mind go off into some distant place. This is about us dealing with the nature of men and fathers for just a moment. And if there's something that fathers need to be called to, it is Pharisees, I'm telling you something that's going to be difficult for you to hear, but God is calling you to live in front of your family as Christ lived and loved the church. That's what our call is, all right? And so for this morning, for this exact moment anyway, understand that when you see the way people in this life are living, and sometimes you expect your marriage, your life, your car, all of those sorts of things to go, be very careful when you're paying attention or that you might be paying attention to the sheep who have entered into this fold, into your circle, into your awareness through, through their own gains, their own desires, and not through the Christ-like example of sacrificial living, of care, of loving each other. Folks, one of the things about this, this passage that we read, it is so on point for how we do life in this world. It is so on point for like what we're called to live. And just for the moments, we're talking about the relationships and marriage and fathers and those sorts of things. But, but listen to where Jesus goes from this, all right? He goes from saying, be very, be very aware that there are sheep among you who are here with, with ill intentions. And then he goes into saying this, this analogy of, of him being the gate, of him being the way that the, the, the true sheep follow me because they know my voice and they're, they're not led astray by other voices, but they, but they know my voice and they follow me. And then he uses this another part of the analogy of like, I'm the gate, I'm, I'm what people, what the true sheep enter is through me. And, and when they enter through me, they find pasture. Do you know what it means to find pasture? Like, do you know what it means to find where your needs are taken care of? Where, folks, if you own cattle or you own livestock, their greatest concern is to be well-fed. Amen? They go wherever they need to go to be well-fed. And, and not to demean or demoralize us, but to demonize us even, but to recognize that like our goal is to be in a place of being well-fed, happy, and at peace. And, and what he's trying to associate is like, you will only find that through the gate, which is me. And again, we'll, we'll kind of just revert for just a moment and say, but, but God, we see people in this life that are going through things differently and you know what really sounds like a really good gate to me? How many of you watch the NFL draft? Did y'all see any of that? People sit at home waiting for phone calls to happen or they're in some big open setting. Like I remember watching, you know, I'm an Alabama football fan. So like two of the top three drafts were both Alabama players and you know where they are? They're in this big arena waiting for their name to be called and like, man, wouldn't that be awesome? Or we see like the, the arrival at some massive award show and people are coming in on a red carpet and people are taking their pictures and like, you know what would be fun, Jesus? When I get saved, that's how I want it to work. You know what I mean? Like, what would it be like if like, when you get saved, it is a phone call and everybody's watching and there's this great cheering and then you get a signing bonus? You know, like, oh my gracious. Yeah. See how this is, there's so much this is just still kind of cyclical within the same. To accept this, this process of becoming Jesus is the gate. And the only way to find true peace and to find pasture is not in what you've seen by the liars, the thieves, the robbers, okay? But it's to accept the nature of who Christ is. And then we'll kind of sew this back together and say, and that's why Jesus has to say to the Pharisees, I'm telling you something that you don't want to believe and that you may not even want to hear, but this is what you're called to. May we be people who own that this morning. You know, let's own that. Men, women, followers of Christ. Let's own what it means to be called to be Christ-like. God, we come before you this morning in an analogy that is very, is very broad in in, in how it influences our life. 
we recognize within this analogy that we fit within the perspective of sheep and that within the fold are those who are, God, they're representing things that will do nothing but rob, steal, take from us, lie to us. And so as sheep, we are working to make sure that we both enter through the gate of Jesus Christ and that we know his voice as we move forward in this life. Forgive us of the times, God, where we have listened to those exterior voices. Forgive us of the times when we've listened to this world maybe rob and lie to us about how life is supposed to be lived, even within what marriage should look like and our relationship should be. Help us to return God, back to a, an understanding of what it means to sacrificially serve, to love. Help us to do that as you have called us to do it. Not even, not even loving as this world says to love, God, but loving as you have instructed us. God, send us back out into this world, maybe having some blinders removed from our eyes where we no longer follow those who are in our midst who are not pointing us toward Christ and maybe send us back into this world to help us focus better on being the Christ-like example, humbly submitting ourselves to you. God, we love you today. We thank you for who you are in your son's name. We pray, amen.